This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Okay, welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. Wayne Goldsmith is our regular Wednesday morning guest. WGCoaching.com is his website. Wayne, I'm delighted that you made it back from your trek into the outback. Did you, uh, did you come across any perilous situations uh, with the terrain or with uh, snakes, spiders or such like? Yeah, a little bit of all those things, Piney. The, the most interesting thing, though, we've got a, a big snake here called a goanna, and it's a, a little bit like, you know, see those Komodo dragons on TV and the in uh, Borneo, I think they come from. Just imagine a, a, a lot smaller version than that. And we're walking along the track about this time last week. And my mate stopped me and said, have a look at this. And so there was about a metre and a half goanna was eating a black snake live. And that was, yeah, that was pretty fascinating. So it was good because it kept the lizard under control and it got the snake out of our way. It sort of killed two birds or two snakes with one stone but uh, apart from that very peaceful didn't see anyone at all in the bush for five nights and spent a lot of times contemplating and thinking about the mysteries of the universe around a big open fire with a metal cup full of port so life doesn't get any better than that <laughs> brilliant good stuff well good to have you back in the land of the uh, the living with us and good to have you back on the show uh, i want to talk to you this morning about something which has been a bit topical around around here and that's uh the the issue or the uh, situation where you have two players vying for a position and I guess most coaches would say well actually I want competition in my squad I want competition for places uh, from a coach's point of view uh, how tricky is it to manage players when you know that uh, there are going to be guys or girls who don't get a game uh, every week or in fact most weeks how big a challenge for a coach first of all is that well, the secret is, Pine, is to know your players very, very well and understand their motivation and what they're doing there. And in a perfect world, we talk about the we, not me philosophy. So that a team player in rugby, rugby league, AFL, any of the team sports, netball, basketball, that they're in a team sport partially for what they want to achieve as individuals, but also because they enjoy being part of something bigger than themselves and being part of a group that are working towards a goal and sharing the experiences of winning and losing and enjoying experiences of training together and achieving success as a group. And those, if they've got that mindset, so it's, it's about we and not just me, that's an easy thing. Where you get the complication is when you've got high-profile players, huge egos who like the media, who like the money, like the profile – and they're competing for positions, and it's got an impact, not just on their playing future, but it's got an impact on their whole uh, persona, their whole image, their whole earning capacity if they're not playing week to week. And that's a very complicating factor. So in that case then, what sort of messages should a coach be giving to players like that? Is, is, it a, is stroking of egos something which is, uh, which is relatively common at elite level and something a coach has to be quite good at sometimes? 
if they're at elite level, that stroking of egos isn't quite as important as being direct and honest. And it's interesting when you talk to elite coaches, Piney, about the sort of questions players ask them when they're being recruited. So, you know, you think in a recruitment process that you as the head coach or the CEO or someone who's recruiting a player, you've got a list of questions that you're going to ask. But I've asked coaches in the past, what is it that players ask you? And naturally enough, you'd think it's about money. You might think it's about a, a range of things. But professional players will say, will I get a start? Will I get a game? How much game time will I have? Where do I fit into the team? Even though we believe in certainly what are called taxi talk, says, oh, they're all pampered ponies and it's all about the money. They're still players and players want to play. And it, it's interesting that when they sit down with coaches coming into programs, Inevitably, the question they want to know is, where do I fit in your team? How much game time will I get? Where will I be starting? Will I be off the bench or will I be in the starting 15, 11, 13, whatever it, it might be? And coaches, if they're going to be successful, need to be very clear and very, very consistent. And the problem is if you start massaging the ego of one player, then you have to make sure that you're massaging the ego of all of them or not at all. And Look, I think, again, the, the, the sort of coaches that we talk about often on this show, people like Wayne Bennett and certainly Craig Bellamy and um, Wayne Smith and all the great coaches that we come across, they live a life of honesty. They're able to look players in the, in the eyes and say, I have a role for you. I need you to play this role. That might only be 20 minutes per game, but it's a vitally important role for this team and I need you to play that role. And that the the better coaches will give that honesty and directness to the players, and the players will respond to the honesty. If a if a coach has a player who's playing very very well, and a a player who is probably potentially as good sitting on the bench and only getting the odd game here and there, is it incumbent upon the coach to give the guy who's not getting games an opportunity, or does does he really, because of the the greater good of the team, just have to keep on? riding that form horse if you get my drift? I think inexperienced coaches just play their top team all the time. Coaches who've been in the game for a little while in, in any sport know that the rainbows and sunshine days do not come very often. And it's important that they play for a situation, they prepare for a situation where their best player is injured, their captain gets sent off in the first five minutes, that their best player does a cruciate ligament in the first game of the season and all their attack has been based around that player. The smart coaches will, of course, want to pick their best team and their best players because winning every week is what they're getting paid to do. But the ones that have been around for a while know that they have to prepare for that inevitable day when the star player or the, the linchpin of their back line or their, their player that's leading and making the calls in the forwards is not there, and then what's their fallback position? Because, but after all, the aim is that we're looking for consistency. Now, if if you get exception, and, and the, the Cowboys in the NRL were a great example of this, in the early days of having Thurston, and Thurston was such an exceptional leader and talent and great player. The early days with them, if you look at their win-loss record, without Thurston, it was abysmal. And naturally enough, you've got the best rugby league player in the world in your team. Very normal, very natural to build everything around that player. But of course, the downside is if they're not there, 
then the team suffers as a result. And we saw the Cowboys that have these incredible results look brilliant, and then they'd lose four or five weeks if Thurston wasn't in the team because of injury or state of origin commitments. If you look at how their coaching changed over a period of time, they changed the way they managed Thurston and they made sure that other players could step in. They couldn't be him. You can never replace a superstar with all the, the talent and skills and vision that they've got. But they trained the team to win without Thurston. And just as uh, the All Blacks, I think 2011, were able to win without, wasn't it your first three picks at fly half? That you know the, the good coaching teams look at the squad, uh, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. You used that great phrase at the start, which was uh, we being bigger than me. But it's understandable, isn't it, for a player to to be disappointed that they're not playing. Yes, I know in the media, perhaps they'll come out and say, hey, whatever's best for the team, you know, we, 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 I'm fine with. But if you're not playing, it's actually natural to be disappointed, isn't it? It is natural. And normally, of course, players want to play. That's why they, they've chosen to go down the path that they have. Again, the coaches are being open and honest. But there comes a time, obviously, around the end of the year or when contracts are being negotiated, the players will sit down with the coaches and the CEO, whoever's doing the contract negotiation, or will sit down and talk to their manager and say, look, I love this team, I love these guys, great coach, but it's driving me insane not being able to play every week, and I'm looking for a team where I can be a starting player. And, you know, we see that one the most recent example I can think for them in the NRL, at least anecdotally, I have no evidence for this, but when Cooper Cronk was signed by the Sydney Roosters, of course, Pierce went, well, writing's on the wall, these guys, state of origin level, test halfback, chances are I'm not going to be a starting player or won't get that level of influence over the team that I'd like. And, of course, the Knights snapped him up and he's got a significant leadership and influential position there. So on the surface of it, those sort of things will happen. And it's, But, again, it's knowing the player. If the player is driven to be the best they can be within the environment of the team and do whatever it takes to help the team get better those situations don't come up. If you've got players who say, look, I just want to see how far I can go. I love this game. I want to be exceptional at it. And I'm looking for an opportunity where I can express the full extent of my talent, then they'll move around a little bit. In, in junior sport in particular, and and I guess even in lower grade as well, it's um you know developing players is something which is pretty important. But at elite level, Wayne, where you've got to, you've got to win games, is it possible, and I'll use Stephen Kearney as an example here with the Warriors, he's got a couple of halves at the moment trying to find a guy to replace Sean Johnson. Is it his um, responsibility or is it even okay for him to look to develop players within a very competitive environment? Well, he has to because, again, he's been around for a long time and not only is he an outstanding coach in his own right, he's got a long history as a player and being mentored by some exceptional coaches. He's been around long enough to know that whatever's happening at the moment, it could get worse. It could get better. Both of those players could get injured. One could get suspended. One could be lost to another team. One could be contracted away. Any of those things can happen. And in a perfect world, you do all your development work in the off season and you turn up for the first game and that team remains intact as selected throughout the season but it's not a perfect world. So, yeah, he's got to be developing along the way because, you know, in the end, the, the aim of those guys is to make the final series. And they get to the final series, and it could be that they're dealing with their number one starting player is slightly injured, their second player is carrying a very minor injury, and the third one 
is suffering from fatigue or is on suspension or something else, there may be a fourth option that they have to find to fill in the gap. So, yeah, they've got to be constantly developing and thinking about scenarios, what if. And I'd put myself on the other side of the fence too, Piney. If I was on the board of a, a elite team, if I was on the board of a high-performance program, and the coach came to me at the end of the year and, and I said, okay, why did we finish 10th? And he said, well, we never got our best team on the field at any time. We, we planned for these 15 or these 11 or 10 or 12, 13 players to be on the field every week. And we had a lot of injuries and we didn't have a backup plan. I'd be asking the coach to take a walk because it's their job to find a way to win. And that means developing players and developing the group to be able to win anytime, anywhere, in any situation without excuses and without blaming the fact that you haven't got your best player in their position all the way through the season. So that, that's just part of the game. They've got to learn how to prepare players to win anytime, anywhere. That's what we pay them for. Thought-provoking stuff, as always, Wayne. Great to have you back on the radio. Thanks for, uh, for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll uh, chat again next Wednesday. Well, I certainly will. If you get a chat to me next Wednesday, I'll be in Glasgow at the British Swimming Championships at the start of my six-week tour, but I'm going to be catching up with you regularly no matter where I am. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.